When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yo, what's going down, everybody? Welcome to Show Me the Meaning, Wisecracks Movie Podcast. Show me the Matrix! Oh, shit. What up, everybody? I'm Austin Hayden. I'm joined by the Show Me the Meaning crew. We've got Ryan. Sub film fans. And we got Raymond. Hey, everybody. And this week, we're going to be jumping into the highly anticipated, much-discussed, maligned in some corners, praised in others. I wonder if this is like a Marmite film. Either you love it or you hate it. I'm not sure. We're going to see. We're going to be talking about Matrix Resurrections, directed by Lana Wachowski, starring Keanu Reeves, Carrie Ann Moss, Yaya Abdul-Mateen II, Jessica Henwick. Uh, Jonathan Groff, NPH, Priyanka Chopra, Jonas, and Jada Pinkett Smith. Lots of people with long names. Uh, what would your long name be, Ryan Haley? Would you add a middle name, or is Haley is Haley a stage name, or is this is this a full name? I just go by Ryan. I'm like Cher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Ryan, it's not like it's it's not in any way like it's generic or something like that. That other they no. would just know. Unique. Yeah, yeah. What about you, Raymond? What would your stage name be? My stage name. Um, John Wayne Gacy. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, um, as always, we're going to go around and we're going to get some first impressions. But before we do, I just want to give a quick reminder, you know, to make sure you can check out our Twitter, SMTM underscore POD. That's SMTM underscore POD. Give us a follow over there. Also, if you can, please give us like a review and a nice rating. I'm sorry, a nice review and a high rating, however it is that you want to do it, over in like Apple or in Stitcher or in Spotify or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. And you can make sure to check out our other podcasts as well, Culture Binge. They're always producing cool shit. And uh, despite what people think online, there is no rivalry between the two of us because we're just clearly superior. Um, Although, shouts to the Culture Binge team. (laughs) Oh, shit, shots fired. Um, So make sure you check that out. And also check out our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash wisecrack. We've got bonus content there. We've released a few episodes. Um, I imagine here we've got one coming up in the near future to say hello to 2022. Also, Happy New Year. I haven't been able to say Happy New Year to everybody. So Happy New Year. I forgot about that. And uh, here we go. Happy New Year, yo. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So um, let's just jump into first impressions. I'm sure there's so much for us to talk about with regards to how this film sits in the franchise as a standalone film, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Let's start with Ryan. What did you think of Matrix Resurrections? (laughs) Oh, no. Um, Well, okay. So this was probably my most anticipated movie of the year, right? I have been so looking forward to this, following its production very closely. I've been following all the, the San Francisco Knights calling the police, wondering why helicopters are getting exploded on their street all night. I'm like, <laughs> hell yeah. Anytime that there's giant disruptions where a whole city is calling the police because a movie's getting made there, to me, I'm like, all right, I can't wait to see what, what they actually filmed to make that happen. Um, and I, my, my overwhelming feeling after watching this is what the fuck is Lena Wachowski on? What, what did she, uh, uh, what happened in the last several years to get what we got? I, I'm not saying I hate the movie either. I think it is a spectacular disaster piece of a movie. Like, it's not like, so I'm basically I'm having trouble rating it. It's kind of like, like I, I've been recommending everyone that I know to go watch it. But then they're like, oh, so it's awesome? I'm like, no, it is not. <laughs> it is not awesome. But it's just like a sight to behold. Just the fact that it's like, okay, how do you make a ma- how do you make Matrix 4, especially, or, or where yeah. do you go after you've left the, uh, the the trilogy we got? Yeah. You know, he's fucking dead. And what we got is, yeah, this just crazy meta swing for the fences, insane, uh, and almost like we'll talk about it I'm sure but there's like there's a part in the movie where it almost seems like it's Lana telling us that she basically didn't even want to make Matrix 4 they almost the studio was like we're going to make it without you yeah uh, uh, and or else so what are you going to do and she chose to make it so 
Yeah, it's weird that it exists. It, it's weird that it exists in the state we got. And I would say, like, in terms of just my thoughts on the filmmaking and stuff, yeah, it's it, it's not... It, to me, it fails on as a Matrix movie. It fails just on, like, the logic of a story of any movie. And then, more importantly, though, I thought the action... The action and, and, and just cool... Yeah, action pieces we got were just such a step back yeah. from the state-of-the-art stuff we got 20 years ago and that's to me one of the biggest uh, stories of this of the movie is just how the hell do you make such a thing that that pushes the limits so much uh aesthetically to being so bland in my opinion uh in today and and so i have a lot of thoughts on that aspect of it i'm yeah uh, uh six out of ten five out of ten probably four <laughs> somewhere around there <laughs> It's getting I, worse. I respect Lana Wachowski. I, I, I'm glad they went the meta route in a way. I think that it's that, that is kind of a, a fun take on a Matrix movie as as having them exist in the movies or in the story, but it did not work. Uh, but credit to her for trying. Okay, all right, Raymond. What about you? I liked it. I'm, Perfect. I'm glad we got different <laughs> different viewpoints here. I, but I will agree with you, Ryan. I don't think it was great. Um, I just. One of the things that I responded to most in it uh, was there's the scene, and obviously we'll get more into the specifics of the plot later, but early in the film, there's the scene to which you were referring, Ryan, where Jonathan Groff lays out the the whole thing to Neo, and Neo is a, a game designer who has made a, a trilogy of games called The Matrix, and... Uh, he says, look, you know, Warner Brothers is going to do a fourth one with or without <laughs> us. Uh, are you on board? And I kind of feel like that is Lana Wachowski sort of not only, you know, middle fingers up to Warner Brothers, but kind of throwing the gauntlet a little bit and saying, like, these are my characters. This is my universe. If anyone is going to do this, it's mm. me. And I really, really admire, even if I agree with you that the action's not up to par with the third one, or uh, excuse me, the first three. I think that's so far from her mind as to what she wants to accomplish with this, which is take the language of the Matrix, update it into a new a new digital era, and create a love story between two characters mm. that really mean a lot to her, and put those characters front and center, emphasize that love story, de-emphasize the action, and just try something completely different within this sandbox as opposed to if Warner Brothers had gone and made a fourth movie without her, they would have just regurgitated, you know, it would just be all the things that the guys in the boardroom are throwing out during their brainstorm session in that montage where they go, uh, bullet time and action and guns, lots of guns. And I'm sure that that would be perfectly satisfying for an audience, but for my money, I've seen that three times already with the first three and I like that she took a really bold swing here, did something that was extremely where she is living right now in her life, and that, that reflects her current ambitions as a storyteller more than just trying to, you know, recreate or reboot or or regurgitate the stuff that we've seen in this universe already. And And that, to me, makes it, even if it is, I would agree with you, Ryan, probably in the 6 out of 10 range for me it still makes it a little bit of a triumph because I would rather see an average movie that's trying something new than what would have inevitably been like a pretty average or mediocre, you know, third sequel that was just rehashing the old, the same old tired stuff at this point. So I, I liked it, but I still have some criticisms of it. But what about you, Austin? Uh, yeah, I think it's as good as it possibly could have been. So people can what? No, uh, what? Yeah, yeah. So people can take that for what it was. I don't think like how are you supposed to relive the the magic and, and regain the glory? Anytime you're doing a retread or a reboot or something like that, especially for something that isn't just a film and some sort of beloved narrative structure, but that has so much cultural analysis, political analysis. It's been appropriated by fucking everybody from far right 
extremists to radical leftists, right? And, well, it's not appropriated by radical leftists. I think it is meant to be a radical leftist critique of power structures. But like, the, how, how are you supposed to be able to, when it's been memed to death, when it's been culturized to death, how the fuck are you supposed to be able to do anything that's going to satisfy the kind of narrative and cultural and conceptual appetite of an audience? So what I think that they did is they did so much of what you're saying. They basically said, look, nobody is going to uh, handle this and maybe even destroy this series except for us. And this is what we're going to do. We're going to finish this, okay? And we're going to finish this the fucking way that we want to finish this. And there possibly could be another film. I mean, the way that it's set up is is if for some reason Lana wakes up and she gets inspired and she's like, you know what? I'm going to fucking do a fifth one. Like, that's, I guess, what she said happened. is She was like, I had no ideas. I didn't have an inspiration. And then some stuff happened politically, culturally, and she was like, fuck, okay. I, and she, I think she said she woke up from a dream and she's like, I've got it. I figured out the it angle. all just like snapped into focus yeah, for so her. maybe that'll happen for a fifth one with a spoiler alert by the way with Neo and Trinity redesigning the fucking Matrix but then maybe they redesign it in their own image and then that isn't actually all that it's cracked up to be which there's a lot of interesting cultural stuff and narratival stuff that you could explore there right so that's really kind of cool it leaves it in a space where fans can kind of talk about what would the next one be video game franchises can continue on she retains control of the product and she does it in a way that um, I think gives her uh uh, future trajectory for the IP, but also if it's done, she blew it up in the way that she wanted to fucking blow it up. And I think in that sense, it's as good as it possibly could have been. I wasn't super like I I, I was excited for it, but I did not think it was going to nearly be like like recapturing the magic of old. I knew it had to be something like this, right? I knew it had to be something big, wild, and outside of of the kind of parameters of what people were expecting. Um, I, I agree everything that you said about the action. I think some of the CGI and the frame rate was really kind of bothered me a few times. Um, I thought the action sequences, you know, they used the quick cuts and the edits and things like that to mask a lot of maybe the aging, the aging actors, but also to kind of like mask the, I have, I have some more thoughts on this as well. Yeah. And, and to mask how they didn't have, I mean, this is something that shouts to our boy, Jared, who, uh, former host here um, who kind of talked about this, that they didn't have, you know, the um, six months to train with, you know, a legendary choreographer. They had a pandemic squeezed few months to get production in and they did maybe the best they could, but they used a little movie magic to cover over where in the past they just fucking used practical aesthetics, practical effects, practical activities, hand-to-hand combat. And I think that made the action sequences suffer in this one. Um, There are a bunch of things that I think we can critique the film for, but I think that politically, culturally, conceptually, they did some really interesting things as well. And I think this is going to be a film, whether or not as a standalone or just because it's commentary on the original trilogy, but it's going to be a film that's talked about for a very long time. And I think the people are going to continue to fight about it. Hard disagree. (laughs) Okay, so... Before we start peeling some of these interesting things back, um, let's do a quick recap on Matrix Resurrections. So, Thomas Anderson is a successful game designer responsible for the uber-successful Matrix games based on visions that Anderson has been having from potentially his past life, which actually are his past life, as Neo. He frequently runs into Tiffany, the object of his affection, the person who he based his character Trinity on in the Matrix games at the local coffee shop. But he's having trouble reconciling his real life from these visions or memories that he's continuously having. He's prescribed medication by a therapist, a blue pill, and is reminded to keep checking in with what is real, touching his fingertips, feeling the solidity of the quote-unquote real. Meanwhile, Bugs, a new character, discovers a program embodying Morpheus and helps free him before Smith, who is actually Anderson's boss, can erase this program. Now, once protected, Morpheus and Bugs track down Anderson and extract him from the Matrix, confirming Anderson's visions all along that he is, in fact, Neo. Now, in the machine world, Neo and Trinity have been kept in these pods in close proximity, isolated from the rest of the human batteries fueling the machine world. And back in the Matrix, Smith and other exiled programs, we learn, they want to return to the old Matrix, where they can be free and run rampant and do their thing. Um, So we then start to learn that, in fact, 
Anderson's therapist is actually the new kind of ruler of this world, taking the place of the architect from the original trilogy, who is now the analyst, which I think there's also something that we can talk about there. What's the difference between architecture and analysis? The analyst of this new form of the Matrix, replacing the old architect, designing this new world in a different way, an upgraded way, because now the enslaved desire their enslavement. They enjoy it. Therefore, they are more productive for the machine worlds, and and they also don't have the same desire to be freed. Neo waking up, however, has disrupted the balance of energy production, and the analyst tries to convince him to return. Neo, of course, refuses and decides that he wants to free Trinity so that she can be woken up, despite concerns that she might actually enjoy her status in the Matrix. Now, when Tiffany does remember her past as Trinity... Her and Neo fight their way out of being cornered and hoping that Neo can regain his full ability to fly. They jump off a skyscraper uh, together, but to everyone's shock, maybe, maybe not, he can't quite regain his powers, but Trinity can. She's the one who can fly now in this new matrix energy dynamic, and she brings them to safety. Trinity is now the one who seems to have the excessive powers over this form of the matrix. Uh, with that in tow, she and Neo confront the analyst, they thank him for a fresh start, and they warn him that they're going to be the ones remaking the matrix from now on. All right, before we continue, we got to give a shout out to our sponsor of this week's episode, Skillshare. Skillshare is an online community where you can connect with other like-minded people and creatives and where you can explore projects that you're passionate about. This is one of the reasons why Skillshare is so cool because you can unleash your creativity and you can pursue your passions right from the convenience of your own home. They offer thousands of classes for creative and curious people on topics such as iPhone photography, drone filming, editing, classes on improving productivity, UI, UX, web design, activism in your artistic production, how to make a feature, how to write a book, whatever it is, they've got stuff for you. I've actually been taking some courses on like um, ethical design and digital design and things like that. They're really freaking cool. Um, Some of them are really short. They're broken up into nice little neat like two to five minute lessons so you can go through a whole lesson, you know, pretty pretty quickly. And you can listen to it at 1.25 or one and a half speed if you are a busy person like I am. Uh, But anyway, if you want to explore your creativity and you want to connect with some cool people, go to Skillshare.com slash SMTM. That's Skillshare.com slash SMTM and you'll get a free trial of their premium membership. So if you want to take advantage of this free trial, go to Skillshare.com slash SMTM or you can click the link down below. All right, now we're going to get into this, but we do want to also give a shout to uh, the people who are watching us live on YouTube right now. Please comment down below. I'm sure that you have theories, you have thoughts. Uh, Give us like substantive stuff and we'll try to engage with it. And then of course, if you're listening to this on the podcast form and you want to get involved in the live chat, just remember that we record periodically so you can follow us on Twitter and you can find out when we're recording generally around the same time every week, although this week is a little bit different. But if you subscribe to the channel, then you get notifications and then you can be on all the live chat. And now I'm going to stop talking. Let's start peeling this thing apart. Ryan, spew some more hate for us. Yeah. Spew some more hate for us. Get us started. All right. Well, uh, for for one, uh, you've said it a couple times, and I've seen some people echo this in the chat, this line, I felt it was as good as it could have yeah. been. I just don't understand that. Give me the keys to the Matrix. I will make a better Matrix 4. I'm sorry. Okay. You know, okay. Like, what? In your world, scrap, scrap this, what happens with Matrix 4? Like, what what happens? Well, okay, we we've talked we've talked Matrix on here before, and I'll kind of reiterate my you know thoughts on the the the, the first one. Obviously, is such a well told hero's journey, a, a a simple story told very well that blew everyone's mind. Right? I was like, whoa, I didn't see that. Life's a computer. That's all you got to know. You know, that's the that's the beginning and end of the philosophy. You can dig into it more. You know, as Jared built a whole channel, <laughs> basically, yeah. what I'm doing, but. But like, obviously, it works as a piece of popcorn entertainment, you know, and stuff. And so, obviously, like, like, the, and then the the second and three essentially just are exposition the movie and and take everything mysterious and cool about it and try to explain it, and it doesn't work. In so my you opinion. don't like and I think a you lot don't like you don't like two and three at all. I think two is uh, has fun popcorn stuff too. Obviously, you know the burly brawl and stuff is all cool. You know, I don't need it to be just dumb, but like <laughs> you know, it like I said to me, that's why the first one works on such a great level. It's so such a smart movie, but it's simple and 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 whatever it works. This is just so bogged down in the in like I said the exposition of it all. And you would have thought I would have thought they would have learned their lesson. 
from that and gone, all right, let's get, not get back to meat and potatoes and remake Matrix 1, but maybe take the meta elements that they were going for with Matrix 4 and, you know, have a, another well-told hero's journey and stuff. But I think they, they kind of did all the worst of all of it. They, they again, brought us, you know, a, an architect-like character with Neil Patrick Harris, which is cool. It make you know, I like getting diving into to uh, what they're going for, but it just like I said, doesn't work like number one does. It's there's all these monologues about the inner workings of the analysis of the Matrix, which I would love to hear y'all's you know uh, uh, analysis of. Uh, so, but to me, yeah, it just doesn't. It, it, it's too much. It's too much explanation and not enough showing the cool shit. Um, that's that's where I'd be. Get, that's where I'd start. Who, what about you? Who analyzes the analyzers? Uh, we do. So, <laughs> yeah. okay, Raymond. I, yeah, what about you? What do you think about this? What What about me? I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, like, I, I, Ryan, I hear you on all of that, and I understand why that is. That's an easy response, you know. And not to say that you you haven't considered this. But I think that's like, it comes back to what I said before, is that I, all the cool stuff that is so iconic about the first movie and by extension uh, parts two and three, it's just A, they've been there, done that. And B, I just don't think that's where Lana Wachowski is in. But you can do it better. It's, right now. it's not like oh, we can't make an action movie. We've been there, done that. You can just make, you can expand upon, sure. it, build upon it. But you know, also, make it different. But you know, different. But, I could say, yeah, you can you can do it bigger and better. And then I'd point to parts two and three and be like, do do those feel better? Or are they just bigger? Like, and and that's the thing is that for here's okay. Everything on the table, the 1999 movie is a fucking masterpiece. It's great. And I think what was so wonderful about that movie at the time, and even now, is that it was following like 20 years of action movies that all felt the same. That all, you know, it was like all the all the diehard knockoffs and Rambo knockoffs, like all that stuff. The, the vernacular, at least of American action cinema, was very much like watch that car blow up and watch big guy punch or whatever. And the way that they synthesized so many influences with that first matrix, it was unique and revolutionary and exciting. And despite all of the parodies and ripoffs and knockoffs and people that, that tried to do it and failed 20 years later, I rewatched the original trilogy before going into the fourth one. It still feels unique. It still feels fresh and exciting because, and I think that just serves to underline how difficult it is to do <laughs> what they're doing on that level. And there yeah. have been other great action movies. Fucking Keanu Reeves is in other great action movies right now. I think the John Wick movies rule. Um, but what was so lightning in a bottle about that first movie specifically was so much a product of its era and uh, a response to lackluster action cinema on screen. And I think that this movie is similarly a product of its era, but she's just interested in commenting on things in a different vernacular. Add to that the fact that, yes, COVID broke up the production of this thing, and also Lana Wachowski's work style has, not just with regards to what she's trying to accomplish textually, her approach as an artist, when when they were doing the early Matrix, I think when they were doing the Matrix sequels, they were doing like... 90 or 99 takes they they did interviews at the time where they talked about how they had like read a book about stanley kubrick doing a hundred takes and they just decided okay that's what you have to do to be a great director (laughs) and then you watch you watch matrix reloaded and there are so many scenes of people just kind of sitting at a table and you're thinking to yourself my god did they do 99 (laughs) takes of this no wonder everyone seems so bored and you know over the years her work style has changed so much when you read about her approach on set with Sense8, even with this, that she would she would get in on the day and just kind of throw new ideas out and they would have a very loose improvisatory vibe. And it was just, this movie's just so much more about emotion than it is yeah. about action. Quite tellingly, even though I would say the action is lackluster, it, it feels like a Marvel movie when they're fighting all the Merovingians, you know, werewolves and shit. But also, in the middle of that fight scene, the Merovingian is giving a monologue about how much 
pop culture sucks shit today and and how it, it you know social media sucks and movies suck now and we used to have real cinema and blah 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 and i think in a way you know it may it it, it may be me like may, maybe trying to give him the benefit of the doubt but that scene to me feels like she is going don't fucking worry about the action. Here's my thesis mm. right fucking here. Like the the reason that you cared about the first one wasn't because kick punch bullet time whatever. The reason you cared about it was because there was like you said Ryan a strong hero's journey that underneath all the chaos there was some real heart and this movie is just going now it's all fucking heart you may not like it but this is the story that I want to tell so I just yep. like I, I really like re- I really respond to that yeah absolutely but it, that's that's the thing that I said before though is that when when she throws down the gauntlet and says you know Warner Brothers is is going to do this with or without me I think that's her taking up this challenge to say like well they're going to bankroll whatever I want to do as long as it's in the Matrix universe. And if you have you read that interview where she said something to the effect of, you know, she had lost both of her parents, one of her best friends yeah. had just died. And when she started writing this movie, she was just she was just thankful to have Neo and Trinity, the two most important characters in her career. And she just wanted to spend time with them and not feel like she had to put them through this crucible again and to feel like they could win and that they could have a happy ending because it felt like there was something that resolved within her in in Mm. so doing. And I think that that is, that's important because once again, whether you like it or not, I'm not even crazy about this movie, but I love that, she got to get $200 million from Warner <laughs> Brothers to do two things. Make an extremely personal and esoteric film. Yeah. And two, give a huge middle finger to the people who bankrolled it. <laughs> like, it's pretty fucking punk rock. And that, I just, once again, this might be my fourth favorite Matrix movie, but I just respect the hell out of it. <laughs> so I, I like it, man. Uh, yeah, I guess to me it would have been more punk rock to, you know, yeah, give the fuck you scene to Warner Brothers in the middle of your Warner Brothers $200 million movie, but then also, you know, I don't want to say just make it good, but like, like, uh, you know what would have been cool, uh, is having them be in the movie. You know, if you're going to go meta, why not have the Wachowskis, you know, show up all of a sudden and, and be like, like the, the soothsayers, like, like typing at their computer with their eyes rolling in the back of their heads or something like that. I'm just yeah, yeah, spitballing. half joking here. Yeah. But, uh, uh, <laughs> well, let's, let's think of it. Let, let's think about this from like a conceptual perspective too. Like it's not 1999 anymore. The world is vastly different. Uh, you can't just talk about the matrix. The mechanism of control is fundamentally different, right? That doesn't mean that there aren't similarities that persist, but the analysis in the original Matrix, like first of all, it's based off of a book. The author of the book like disavows the film, but of course he would have to say that anyway. We're talking about Jean Baudrillard, right? Um, but that it really goes back to like the, the ideas of the allegory of the cave, that we're plugged into a world that we think is real, but when you have a wake-up moment, a come-to-Jesus moment, an enlightenment moment, um, a death-of-God moment, a something kind of moment that shakes your foundations and you say, oh, fuck, maybe there's a different way that we can be in the world. That's a very simple way of understanding the uh, conceptual apparatus, right? So they spent a lot of time building this world. And part of the reason that the original Matrix is so amazing is because we get introduced to this futuristic, cyberpunk, digitized reality that hadn't fully even come to exist yet, right? Like they're writing about mechanisms of digital control that in 99, we didn't fully live in. We weren't immersed in. We were like, the computers are there, and we tippy-tap on them, rather than what happened subsequently over the the, the, the 20 plus years since that film was made, is now the computers have come into our brains. We think with algorithms. The algorithms have affected our rationality. Central banks are using AI bots to determine monetary policy. Which is something this this movie is is extremely about. Exactly. That, that our, our evolving interface with uh, with digital environments and the gamification i love that neo i'm sorry that anderson is a game designer because the gamification of reality is so part and parcel now of this digital regime that is making up our world but the most fundamental thing is the difference i think between the world of the form of the matrix that was built by the architect is one that is based on based on what we might call disciplinary power right it's people who want to be freed 
but they just don't know that they can be freed or how they can be freed. So there's this gap, right? Or what we might call negativity. But this one, the analyst, brilliantly, and I'm going to say I felt a lot of references to like Byung-Chul Han here in his work and like psychopolitics. We talked about Han a lot here, but that's because the the time of quote-unquote late neoliberal capitalism, whatever you want to call this regime, emerging neo-feudal asset economy, whatever the fuck you want to call it, um, it's shifted now in how it's like using its uh, operations of control, nudge, um, function, power reconstruction, reproduction, whatever. Um, it does it differently now. And so the whole point of the analyst saying that now people are plugged in and they enjoy their servitude. They enjoy the world. And then focusing on the idea of touch and emotion management. And I thought it was brilliant that Lana was in a lot of ways indicting what we might call the, the therapy industry. How a lot of times it can be a palliative to get people to just kind of enjoy their state of exploitation or enjoy their state of um, of actual uh, servitude and um, to what's a palliative mean? Yeah, Sorry. it's just like a Definition pill that you check. take that just kind of like gets you through it, right? It doesn't actually serve. Got it. Okay. Yeah, it doesn't actually serve to like solve the problem. It's it just kind of doesn't address like the base cause. Yeah. or something. It's yeah. Just, so what what the analyst does is basically addresses the symptoms rather than the sickness. Yeah, and on. and so this this analyst is like, yeah, now we live in a totally different world, right? So they couldn't spend. I did think it was a little bit expositional, but they couldn't spend the amount of time developing that like old form of the matrix world where there's like the bullet coming at you and you're moving the reason that was so cool is because he's learning the world and he's learning about the facade of the world but the world now isn't that same world the world now is a world that is gamified the world now is um it controls you in different ways right and this is what i think the film then is ultimately saying unplug kiss somebody you love and build something with this unironic gooey sentimental romanticism and that maybe that maybe that is how you can rebuild reality right that you start from that and and that's and that to me is very sort of if the old trilogy were quote unquote postmodern this is quote unquote meta modern and we've talked a lot about meta modernism <laughs> and the meta modern manifesto if people are interested in it you can go check it out online we've done videos on the channel about it it's post postmodernism it's now saying hey all the ironic like stuff we can still learn and be meta and and comment on ourselves commenting on ourselves but at the end of the day like just fucking unplug and touch somebody that you love I did like, yeah, to touch on a few things I did like about it, it's the message I, by the end of it, when it's just like, oh, the message of this movie is, yeah, love finds a way, and love <laughs> will beat the mate, oh, I, you know, I, I was touched, it was a really clunky way to get there, you know, but them them go, flying off at the end I thought was cool, I also just, uh, you know, uh, uh, Visually, I loved whenever the people were jumping out the windows. I thought that was a great visual conceit. The, yeah. the like swarm mode or whatever they described it yeah. as. Yeah, swarm mode was cool. Yeah, and and you you touched on something, Ryan. At one point, you said like, why not just have the Wachowskis put themselves in there and like yeah. they did. Neo is playing Lana Wachowski. Uh, yeah, he's, right, right. He's he's sitting I at a his more desk. One to one, baby. Yeah, I know, but like he's sitting at his desk tooling around with the Matrix and reliving certain memories of it and he's I mean literally the first scene is a new character watching the first scene from the original Matrix and being like, "Yeah, I mean it's it's the same, but it just doesn't feel the same. <laughs> and uh -huh. there, I, I think there is this this sort of melancholy throughout the film that, like, this is not just... This is a program, a.k.a. a movie, a.k.a. a phenomenon, that got away from its creators, that took on a life mm. of its own, that, as Austin was, you know, mentioning in his early thoughts on it, has been, like, co-opted in a really... Uh, really gross ways and it's it's been co-opted in bad faith ways either by like far-right ideology um or people just like missing the point of it or thinking that it's glorifying violence etc cetera, etc cetera. and i i think that like not only the one of the things that i like so much about these movies is just trying to map the metaphor onto like a computer uh -huh. And and one of the things that I really like about how she's commenting on all of that is what Austin was just alluding to, which is that the computers as we know them and as we interface with them are no longer the sort of like, 
green and black falling code, the binary that hmm. everyone is like, there's even, there's that great scene in this where what's uh, Jessica Henwick's character bugs, where she's explaining to Neo, like, well, yeah, sure. We're going to give you the choice of a red pill or a blue pill. But like, <laughs> by the time you get here, you've already pretty much, there's no chance you're going to be like, ah, eh, fuck it. Blue, just give me another blue, whatever. And I just, I really, really like the notion that this entire movie is just about how, our understanding of how this stuff works and not only how we interface with it, but how it interfaces with each other is evolving far beyond our capacity to understand or control. And, and I think not only is it, is it cool to see how that maps onto this world of like, you know, bots just kamikazeing out of, um, out of buildings to attack our heroes or whatever. Um, But also one of the, one of the things, one of my biggest criticisms of the film is that that middle hour where it's just kind of like they they get Neo out and before they devise a plan to get Trinity out, it kind of lags in the middle there. And uh, But one of the ideas that they introduce in that that I really, really love is this notion that like, well, yeah, we started liberating so many people that all the computers just started fighting each other. <laughs> For attention and stuff and i love that this new they they are always really savvy about how they will map the emerging technological landscape onto this stuff how in in this one the analyst who is you know the the new version of the architect plus the oracle is is talking about how like no we've created a system he's essentially describing social media where it's like people like it here because yeah. they constantly have conflict which means they constantly have drama which means they constantly have stories to tell and narratives in which they can position themselves as heroes or victims etc cetera, etc cetera. and uh you know i digress but uh i, I just I, I think there's so much going on in this that like if you don't like this movie and it, it, you know to each their own that's fine but I've seen a lot of criticism of the film where it's like, oh, well, it's it's too talky and it's, you know, there's not enough action and, and this, that, and the other. Fucking, I rewatched the, th- the first three before this and every other scene they stopped to go like, okay, now this is what kind of program we're in right now. Like, what about that first one, though? What about that first one? The only good one. <laughs> the, no, the first one kicks. I mean, like, I actually think all four of these are really good, interesting movies. It's just that because there's, it's such a heady concept in order for you to develop it out beyond the basic of like, you're a battery, you know, I, you know, we, we got to wake you up and you're going to liberate folks in order to develop the universe outside of that. You kind of have to, you do have to stop the movie at certain points. And I, I, I guess go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean no, no, go ahead. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Not to beat a dead horse, but yeah, I guess to me, you know, the, the, uh, I would disagree with what you just said in the sense that that simple idea, kind of like what I was saying at the beginning, that simple idea of we're a battery, we're part of a computer is so strong that I think that you could stretch it out over multiple movies without having to go so deep into, like you're saying, mapping it to, you know, the evolving technology, you know, because to me, whenever they're like, oh, uh, uh, the, 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 like in the second one, you know, you know, like the 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 Agent Smith can replicate itself. Okay, that's kind of cool. You know what I mean? I get the concept of it and stuff. But yeah, just to go into so much detail about uh, about how you know relating our reality to an actual physical computer and giving us characters that are actually physical computer things. You know, like yeah, it's cool. I get what they're doing, but it certainly isn't making me go whoa, mind blown. There's an actual key key guy. You know, it, like the first one. It's just kind of like. Too cl- too clever by half, whatever the the term is. You know? I, I I understand and I appreciate that, but I also think you would concede that the first the first three movies plus the Animatrix plus Enter the Matrix plus all of the ancillary material surrounding the the movies and the video games and stuff that all happened in such rapid succession when technology was still, of course, progressing, but was at a relative standstill. Not, I, I mean. That uh, I uh, I recognize that's an oxymoron, but I know what you mean. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean. It, yeah, all of that was of a whole. It was it, it belonged to one sort of like Internet 1.0 era. I think it is kind of tough to move that story forward twenty years in reality and sixty years in the universe of the Matrix without having to reset the pieces a little bit because it's like we we just can't, you just can't use that same. You can't use the same pieces that they laid out in the first movie because things have just changed so drastically in the ensuing 20 years. 
What about instead of being stuck in a computer, you're stuck in like Facebook? You're stuck in a social media thing. I mean, that's what oh. number. Yeah, they're exploring <laughs> that to a certain degree in number four. To a degree, but yeah. it's it, you know it's certainly not as like on the nose as all that. But I would definitely say the way that like social media algorithms are designed to seek out conflict and boost that into your timeline and stuff. That's essentially what the analyst is describing when he's talking to them near the end there. I think it's really important to, it is definitely expositional. It's like Matrix the essay, Matrix the visual essay, which I'm kind of okay with because I'm a conceptual theory nerd. So one of the things I love about it is how they describe why this new form of the matrix works. It's not just simply, hey, it's social media and we all love social media and we're getting what we want. But they actually break it down into it's about desire and fear. And it's no longer about information per se, but about feeling management. And you can do that. I mean, this is literally what nudge theory is all about in economic theory. Um, we know this. This is what advertisers do. They're just nudging your decision making, right? They're just nudging your choices. And so there's also a critique of the whole idea of rational choice and rational choice theory and the way that we typically understand economic theory and decision making. And then there's a critique of politics. And it's like, if you are in this situation, well, then you won't fight for your freedom in the same way that you did before. So I think it's really important to kind of when you can kind of get to the kind of concepts, the nuts and bolts of things, we start to see a really, I think, rich conceptual tapestry of a really kind of um, lovely contribution to the discourse, for lack of a better term, right? And I think that Lana had to do this because she was, one, another thing that she was doing amongst everything else we've said is she was resting her product away from people who have taken it in directions like there's that famous tweet right where isn't it like fucking donald trump jr and somebody else who likes it's like ivanka trump and elon musk yeah, yeah. talking about taking the red pill yeah and, and then she's she like just fuck at, you both that's both of them and says fuck you both. yeah so like fuck you both right which is great with this is yeah. her no truer words have ever been spoken no this is this is her basically saying look uh Society, the people that pull the levers, the people that produce media, which also would include Warner Brothers, right? Um, all of these people, they they think that they know what they're doing, and we think that we can understand them, but actually here's a, a new way that we can kind of critique it. And I think that this is just a testament to her growth over 20 years, and I think it's actually really fucking poignant. And um, I can't I can't reiterate it enough, but like go back and watch and listen to all the references. I mean, it's tough because there's like a lot of fucking talking, but go back and listen to all the references. You know, the therapist before we find out he's the there uh, before he's the analyst. He's talking about, you know, touching your fingers. Right. And, and making sure that that's what's real. It's the touch. Right. That's what's real. So it's about sensation and motory sensory inputs, which is a kind of a critique of cybernetic theory, because cybernetic theory was all about stimulus and response, ones and zeros on off trigger response, that kind of thing, right? And that is supposedly the real. And she's like, actually, let's get away from cybernetic theory, whereas the first one was all about Let's kind of like jump into this cyberpunk cybernetic theory. And now she's like, actually, what if you just fucking unplug? And what if you just like love somebody? And there's a philosopher named Alain Badiou who wrote a book on love. Um, I think it's actually a great book on love, one of my favorite essays on love, who talks about like love is the transformation of seeing the world from the perspective of one, an individual, to seeing the world from the perspective of two. And I think that that's what this film kind of is, is it's about the power of love to change how you see the world rather than being individual inputs that are concerned about your stimulus and how your affect and your emotions are resolved. What you do is you forego all of that and you love another and you, and you, and you sacrifice yourself for that other. And so clearly because of Lana's personal experiences with the death of her parents and the death of her close friend. Um, and then also like how she's constantly talking about her transition. I love how she talks about it as being how she's perpetually transitioning between the zero and ones of male and female. She says there's an infinite gap and she uses this lovely philosophical language about this perpetual transformation kind of navigating fluidly between binaries. So rather than the valorization of binary code, which is the world of the architect, the world of the old form of the matrix, the new form of the matrix has kind of seeped its way into that space and she's saying, but wait, there's even like breaks and gaps in there, in that infinite space. And what is it? 
It's touching somebody. It's clinking a glass of coffee, which is kind of maybe annoying. My girl actually looked at me at one point. She's like, how many times are they going to clink fucking glasses? You know, they love um, coffee. <laughs> yeah. Well, but I no, love it because it's, it's, it's you, again, you, it's, it, it's finding those points of connection in relationship. And I think that's powerful. On, on that note, there are two things is that I think on just a side note, I think there is something quite telling that like the ultimate expressions of, of like binary choice being the architect and agent Smith that, you know, the architect exists as the the living embodiment of the binary when he gives Neo the choice in Matrix Reloaded. And uh, Smith exists as the binary opposite of uh, of Neo in in the the first trilogy. That both of those characters or their analogs within this movie are played by openly gay men. Um, I think that there's definitely something that she's exploring there or some commentary, at least, that she's trying to make. Um, And... Both of those characters, we've talked a little bit about how the analyst has reshaped the Matrix in a far less sort of black and white or, or green and black uh, uh, system, so to speak. Um, but I actually really love Jonathan Groff He's in fucking, this movie. Yeah. And on right. on that note, Austin, that you were just talking about, like how this is not only about Neo trying to unplug and go find the woman that he loves. There's also this great sort of B story with Agent Smith that he's like, hey man, we've been through some shit, you and I. (laughs) It's all water under the bridge. I just can't have you in the Matrix fucking up my whole game because I love it in here. Mm. And I'm just, he is becoming the new Merovingian, essentially, where like the Merovingian exists as a remnant of an older version of the Matrix. And he, he figured out a way to game that system from within that system and has clearly been like, resigned to the dustbin of the digital history by the time this movie uh, is coming out and now we have like a new agent smith who's discovering like hedonism and how much yeah. it fucking rocks to just like own own or rule the roost within the matrix and i i just i really love that like you know it would have been cool i think to see hugo weaving in this movie i know that uh, there were some scheduling conflicts uh, because i think he was in talks to do it maybe the whole covid thing uh, precluded him from being involved in it um but man jonathan groff makes a fucking meal out of this character and i think he does a really good job i do too and i think one of the things that's interesting co referring back to the binary and the kind of trans allegory and the trans narrative that lana leans into you know it's it's funny at one point when they're like um they're sitting around trying to game plan what they're going to do for the next the next one and you know they even talk at one point they're like oh but it's a film it's a series about trans politics and they kind of just brush it aside right it's just one of the litany that they list um there's some interesting things to think about with if the binary is between neo and smith by the end of the original trilogy, they have a much more codependent, co-constitutive kind of dialectical yin and yang. Yeah, kind of thing. yeah, where they need each other and they actually interpenetrate each other, which is how Neo actually defeats him at the end. Right? Um, there's this like sense in which like. Uh, even Smith comes into the quote-unquote real world through the character of Bane, right? That somehow there's this seepage, we might say, um, through, between, breaking from the binaries. And I think then, I, I kind of like went into this one thinking that the world that we lived in was already this kind of mishmash, right? That no longer was it a world of simple binaries, Right. But that there was this necessary mutual connection. And I think you see that also with Neo and Trinity. The fact that they had to be in a place together, isolated from the rest of humanity, because they were somehow feeding off of each other energetically. And the analyst makes some references to, like, uh, the, the, the energy generated through struggle and through strife and desire and things like that is far greater and helpful, I would say, for the machine world because they can extract that energy for whatever their fucking battery operating plants are, right? But how there's this, like... You aren't who you are without also being connected to another and who they are. And I think this really kind of also comes out when Bugs and Morpheus, when they both uh, see the glitch, when they both see the code for the first time. For Morpheus, it's in his reflection. And for Bugs, it's in the face of the other. Now, philosophically, and I think from a story perspective, there's some really cool things here because it isn't just you see it because you sense it because you know it, but it's needing to be in contact with something that is not you. 
right? Which means you can't do it in isolation. And there's all this stuff in psychoanalytic theory that there's a lot of references to in, in all of the films, but especially in this one. About, I know, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm rocking back and forth here. <laughs> Double fist. I got, I got my mic in one hand and I got my coffee in the other. I'm fucking... I'm enjoying. I'm enjoying. You got my, your simulata. I'm, en- <laughs> I'm enjoying. I'm enjoying the hedonism of of the Matrix. But yeah, so you've got like this reflection coming back to you, right? Seeing your face through the face of the other who is seeing you, or something along those lines. And there's some really beautiful stuff to think about. I think politically there as well. Like one of the kind of famous ideas is that um, philosophy is ethics. This comes from like Emmanuel Levinas, who really famously writes about like the face of the other and stuff like that. And there's some really beautiful stuff here that I think Lana is trying to like tangibly say, like like what what is the purpose of reality? You know, it's uh, we can see it in the face of the other as we're seen by the other and seeing the other. Um, and then the last thing I want to say, just philosophically, is Morpheus when he comes out, he says, "Is it tragedy or is it farce?" Right. And he kind of is like, uh, I don't know. And he's kind of being playful and is doing his swagger thing. Well, that's a reference to Karl Marx, who talks about, you know, how history uh, unfolds first as tragedy, then as farce. There's a reproduction of it. And I think what Lana is doing there, is it tragedy or is it farce? Is this the first time? Is this the repetition? Is this sad and terrible or is this just almost like just comedic? And I think it kind of like explodes that. And I think that's really that's really interesting. There's also this great thing happening with because the Matrix has been rebooted so many times. I mean, within the universe of the Matrix, the actual like the the system has been rebooted so many times. There have been so many different iterations of the one. Like when when Morpheus comes out and is talking to Neo and he starts giving him, you know, the Lawrence Fishburne energy. And then he just goes, eh, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's this notion that I get when I'm watching the movie that like. Even down to aspects of that where, like, if you grew up with these movies, you have this intuition in you mm-hmm. in the same way that growing up with computers gives you a, a, a just a, a latent intuition when you pick up, like, oh, this is the latest iPhone or whatever. You know, I remember it's one of the greatest fucking pieces of, of copywriting I've ever heard was on an iPad commercial when they first started rolling those out. One of the things they said on an early iPad commercial was, you already know how to use it. Mm. And I was like, that's such a bold fucking statement. Mm. Like, on one hand, it's so extraordinarily confident, and it imbues the user with confidence. On the other hand, extraordinarily grim. (laughs) That, like, Mm. who are we kidding? You want this fucking thing. You've already got a smaller version of it in your pocket. We've convinced you you need a bigger version of it. You already know how it works. Come over here and get one, you fucking slob. And there, there is this, this kind of intuition throughout the movie that Morpheus just comes out and assumes Neo knows he knows the score because he created all this shit. He's the one who brought Morpheus to life in Lawrence Fishburne's image, essentially. And Austin, you talk about how the, the sort of Monsters, Inc. Conceit that the the machines have discovered a better way to optimize. You know, mm. at the end of Monsters Inc., they find out that making children laugh is much more potent than than scaring them. Yeah, yeah. Um, they there is this really beautiful conceit that they introduce in this movie. That on that note, Neo and Trinity create not just like not just batteries in the sense of being disconnected, but they are a positive negative. That through however many iterations of the Matrix, they have discovered that like. We need to keep these two in the system because they generate enough power to just keep the whole fucking city running. And I just, I I love that as, Ryan, you were complaining about how expository the film is, but I love that as the, the sort of like, it's all the implication that you need for the revelation by the end of it that Trinity can, she can do one shit. She can do Neo shit. Yeah. She can she can fly. She can bullet time. She can do all of these things that we never see her do in the first three movies. But through this notion that they introduce that like, oh, no, it, it, this is all about, you know, finding your your person, your soulmate, whoever, whoever it is, the person with whom you form a perfect battery, a pitcher and a catcher like it, when when you imprint <laughs> on someone else. In, in life, it creates, you know, it creates an entirely new emotional vocabulary that opens up an entirely new world of possibilities. And I think that that is, that's a really unique and interesting way to 
communicate her ability to do that stuff by the end of this movie rather than having to sit down and say like well you know i know the oracle never pulled you into a room and said you were the one but like in much the same way that neo and smith imprint on each other it's very clear that neo and trinity are you know they're built in the same in the same you know uh image essentially yeah yeah, I liked all that in theory. <laughs> Not in execution. Hey, that's, that's yeah. fine. But like I said, one of the things, one of the reasons I like this movie is because of the big swings that it takes. Whether or not it, it whether or not it makes it over the wall, I'm I'm glad that she she was swinging for the fences, man. Let's 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 think about this. So constantly they make references where Neo is he's he never really believed that he was the one or um you know Trinity believed that he was the one so there's something about like this this gap or this kind of a disconnect between you know what someone believes what what someone else believes you know maybe what's real what's not real and then there's also this gap between like desire and desire fulfillment and i wonder if this kind of all like helps us understand what the one is is this film kind of like redefining what the one has been all along is that the one isn't the mighty individual. Maybe it's not the hero that that comes in and that overcomes everything against all odds, but that the one is something like, um, like a necessary space, or like the one is like a position that anyone could occupy, or anything or any duo can occupy. And so, what I wonder is, is does Trinity having these excessive powers by the end of this new film, does this demonstrate to us that she's the one? Or does it open us up to to not thinking about the one in terms of its singular position, but that it's a space that's open and that other things can occupy in there? For example, the the fluidity of desire, the fluidity of a subject position, you know? And again, there could be trans allegories here. I think there's also some really uh, kind of like philosophical ideas about desire and desire production because desire is the thing that's fueling the machine world because it's the desire of these two people for each other. But again, there's this this um, exploration of, of polarity and kind of transition spaces between the polarities. So that's what I wonder. Do, what is the one now in this in this thing? Let me get this straight, Austin. Are you seriously suggesting that the one is two? Math. Hashtag math. You just blew my fucking mind. Um, <laughs> no, yeah, I think you're onto something there with your interpretation. Yeah? I don't know. I'm, I'm just wondering <laughs> if do. it's kind of like redefining what the one even is, you know? I, I do kind of think it's a little bullshit, though. We spent three, a whole fucking trilogy talking <laughs> about, you know, he's the one. He gave us his whole Christ story, and then, oh, no, it's a couple Christ story. Well, no, okay, you know? but okay. That also is, the film but that's is a called... Different, that's a completely different version of The Matrix. That's one of the yeah. things about this movie is that... rewriting history. That's, but one of the things about this movie is that literally, however many years, however many, like... They re they literally rewrite history once per cycle. It's one of my favorite things about Matrix Reloaded is when they introduce the Merovingian and all of his goons. Is that all of those guys like the twins who can yeah, go cool. through walls <laughs> and stuff? And he's surrounded by literal vampires, ghosts, and werewolves. Like because yeah. there was a previous version of the Matrix where the way that they would optimize uh, energy was just through sheer terror. So all of the myths and folklore about like ghosts and werewolves and vampires were just from previous programs in, in earlier versions of the Matrix. Like, that's one of the things about this movie is that like, <laughs> I feel like I'm back on my first episode of the show with Total Recall because it is kind of unfair. You know, once again, whether you like the movie or not, it's kind of critic proof because you're like, well, they rewrote the rules for this one. It's like, yeah, they've been through three different versions of the Matrix between <laughs> this one and Revolutions. Like, they're changing everything constantly mm. because it's it's technology. Like, they're constantly reiterating and, and changing and adapting things on the fly. And there's, I mean, like like we've talked about for the past 15 minutes, there's an entire monologue where Neil Patrick Harris is like, yeah, you know, um, I'm running the show now and my productivity numbers have been <laughs> through, through the roof, the roof because, <laughs> because I designed this, I completely redesigned this thing from the ground up. Notice how everything's not green and black when you're in here anymore. Like, it's much more vibrant. It's eye-catching. Yeah. It's it's like, it, it's total candy. It looks like junk food. And then the Merovingian comes in and he's like, he's essentially, 
he's a fucking floppy disk, you know? Mm. He goes and he's like, I hate this shit. I used to have everything, and now I'm just an old program that doesn't even fucking run on this server anymore, and it sucks. And I, I do think, not to, you know, come back to the action or whatever, there is a part of me that's like, on a meta level, it makes sense that they're not all great at fighting anymore because they're all, like, worn-out, tired programs that just do not run on this operating system. Yeah, could we even say that that fight scene, the Marvel fight scene with the Merovingian and the Merovingian's goons, that it's kind of almost like Lana saying, here, have what you want. You want these kind of Marvel-y films? Here you go. Here's this, but at the same time, I'm also going to be telling you, because of this monologue, that this is all just, like, banal. But yeah, here you go. Highly doubt that. No, I mean, I wouldn't be so sure because once again, the very first scene of this movie, Lana proves that she still has the fucking chops behind the camera. Like they recreate that opening. They recreate the opening scene from the Matrix and then bugs escape from it where the the hallway is tilting and she's jumping off on like there's some really cool action in that moment that is reminiscent of those first three films. I think in a way that's her saying like, no, I can I can still do it. The rest of this is, you know, some of it may be a choice, some of it may be a circumstance, and some of this may be me just kind of giving her the benefit of the doubt on it. But whether or not she, like, she still has the chops, at the end of the day, I think this entire movie is saying, like, it's really not about the action either way. Mm. Like, you, you know, you can ding it for that, and sure, all of us have, but at the end of the day, what what makes this machine operate is fucking love. Mm. And that's, I mean, like I said, I think, I kind of think this movie kicks I'm ass. so, my heart, I'm, I'm getting a little, I'm legit getting a little teary-eyed right now because I think that's so beautiful. Okay, we have to wrap this up. Ryan, I feel like uh, we've steamrolled you a little bit. You have, right. you have the final. And on, and, and on your worst day of 2022 so far, no <laughs> I, doubt. Oh. <laughs> okay, folks, send, send, send good vibes Ryan's way. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. I, here, here I'm, I already did it once, but I, I, during this, I'm going to, uh, if you will uh, allow me, I'm going to give my, my last little pitch for a, 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 what the perfect Matrix 4 is. All right, it starts. All of the, P, someone, some uh, human being uh, uh, hits off the Matrix. All of the humans escape from their goo pods. Oh. So now, not one... Is, is still is inside the matrix and we're like whoa this is crazy but then guess what we figure out we're in a matrix within a matrix dude what we've always wanted and then that's the beginning of the new trilogy all right send me my check wakowski's i'll expect that uh okay this this would be my if we're speculating now the last thing i'll say is i think i've already said everything i i i I actually i kind of really enjoy this film um talking about it even more now nuts i know uh i i kind of want to rewatch it it makes me want to go back and watch sense eight again too and it makes me it makes me very hopeful that that not just the Wachowskis, because I know Lily, I think, is kind of taking a step back from doing sci-fi stuff. I know that she's kind of done some stuff in what was it, the TV series. Yeah, I don't think she she wasn't even involved with season two of Sense Eight. Oh yeah, and I think, but there was another show that she was involved with um, that was based on a on a on a true story. I can't remember. Um, but anyway, I, I know that she took a step back. But anyway, it gives me hope that at the very least, Lana has a lot left in the tank, you know? And I know a lot of people were worried after Jupiter Ascending, which I didn't love. I know people who really defend Cloud Atlas, but again, I didn't love it. I kind of like Speed Racer, but I know a lot of people were like, shoot, is their best work Speed behind? Speed Racer kicks ass. <laughs> I love Speed Racer. Speed Racer I'm fucking a, rules. I'm Can we do Speed Racer on this? Yeah, let's do okay. You know... I don't mean to come off as a hater here. I'm a Wachowski apologist. Even there's stuff that no one likes, like Jupiter Ascending. I saw it twice in D-Box. Oh, God. <laughs> I thought Jupiter like, Ascending was so bad. I, but but um, I, I think that Lana is a phenomenal filmmaker and storyteller and and creator of concepts. And to me, in this day and age, I think the role of the director can take on different forms. I I think that cinema is different than it used to be. It's always responding to the context out of which it emerges. And I think Lana has a wonderful beat 
on the world around us. And for me, I think that it makes me excited to see what she is going to be doing next because I think that she has she has fascinating and important things to tell us. And I think that's what an artist does. An artist kind of like that's why the whole idea of the muse descending upon us was an idea. The artist kind of taps into things that we don't typically encounter in our daily experiences of waking up, going to work, et cetera, et cetera. And we need the artist to kind of shake us up a little bit. And I think that's what art, when it's at its best, that's what it does. And and I'm, I'm excited to see um, what comes forth. And even if there is no uh, official films that are in the sequence of this uh, of this franchise anymore, I think that she's still always going to be commenting on themes that she's brought to the fore. And I think that kind of makes makes me excited to see what else uh, what else might come out. So that's the last thing I'll say. Raymond, final word. Um, in this movie, Neo never shoots a gun. Trinity never shoots a gun. Mm. Neo's one form of fighting in this is just like a is just putting his hands out. Awesome. Quite tellingly, in a defensive posture, mm. I think he's he he doesn't he doesn't want the burden of responsibility. He just wants to try and fucking clear the road ahead, mm. so he he and his lady can ride off into the sunset. And I'm glad that they have the opportunity to do that in this film. And you know, it's not every day that we get a two hundred million dollar love story. <laughs> so even if even if it stumbles a little bit. Fuck man, this this yeah. even even if it is a sequel, it kind of feels like the originals, fresh within this film landscape. And yeah, I really appreciate it. Yeah, for, it, that, it, for that simple reason. NPH says something at some point. He says that people don't want sentimentality, and I think he's right. But maybe we need it. Maybe we need a little bit of just unironic romantic sentimentality sometimes. Lana Wachowski 100% knows what the audience wants out of a Matrix sequel. And she's delivering, to the best of her ability, what she thinks the audience needs Mm. right now. And I appreciate that earnestness. And you know what, Ryan? Before you put it down again, (laughs) it's her... I want to. It's her gosh darned movie to make. (laughs) That's the thing. Is that I, I, like I said at the beginning of this, I really, really genuinely appreciate the big, bold swing she's taken. She could have turned in just the meat and potatoes, let's let them fight with guns again thing, you know, that uh, maybe I was pitching at the beginning of this. <laughs> but, uh, but I definitely think, you know, that I would just, I would push back on that she 100% knows what people want one out of a matrix movie because she's had three attempts after the first one and kind of failed and all on the last three as far as i'm concerned all but, right uh, let's wrap up let's leave it at that wrap this up uh first of all i would say send your hate mail to ryan but ryan has covid everybody Please. so send send flowers and balloons uh you can send them digitally via binary code to his twitter account ryan where can people find you on the internet ryan shorts i'm gonna be start cranking them out again here soon in 2022 with Within, within the of, next uh, ten, probably ten days from now. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna get a lot of work done. I can tell you that with my uh, uh, disease I have now. All right, and Raymond, what about you, brother? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd. I'm at Crematoria. Sweet, and you can find me on Twitter. You can find me on Insta. Um, Austin underscore Hayden or AUS underscore HAY. We didn't get into the mailbag this week, but that's because this film just has too damn much to talk about. And I figure that the mailbag will be flooded now about this film. So please, <laughs> yeah, I reckon bring it so. on. <laughs> email us. You can email us movies at wisecrack.co. That's movies at wisecrack.co, or you can call us at one two one three five three four eight eight zero seven. That's one two one three five three four eight eight zero seven. Please keep your voicemails uh, as concise as possible so that we can play them and then answer them hopefully next week or the following weeks and then of course follow us on Twitter you can hit us up there with your questions thoughts quick takes things like that smtm underscore pod check out the patreon uh, check out culture binge Ryan send us out of here goodbye from Memphis Tennessee this has been show me the cat tricks we forgot to talk about that part it's alright see ya (laughs) 